Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Sammy. Hey. Uh, it is a good time to remind you and okay. to remind uh, all of our listeners that we have a great event coming up called uh, Adweek Elevate Colon Creativity. Fun. I like creativity. The colon is like a, it's a. Unspoken. A symbol. You don't. Sure. Not, not elevate colon. Uh, That's that w- a different conference. If you go to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't go. Double check where your tickets are for <laughs> before you come. Uh, so I wanted to give you some updates. So we talked about this a few weeks ago. It is an amazing event. Elevate Creativity is only half a day. It's in New York City. It's not a big ask uh, for people who want to come out. So if you love creativity, if you love hearing from inspiring creative professionals, uh, Elevate Creativity is a great uh, option. Uh, and I wanted to tell you about a few of the names mm-hmm. that we've locked in since the last time we talked. Uh, just to remind you, uh, not that you need reminding. No, I never need reminding. You stitched it in a pillow the night I told you about this, mm-hmm. I'm sure. But uh, Fernando Machado, the global CMO of Burger King, is going to be our keynote speaker, which is awesome. Very. Uh, we've got some uh, some big hitter names we mentioned before. Colleen DeCourcy uh, from Wyden & Kennedy is going to be there. Uh, uh, Devika Bolchandani from McCann, New York, the president of McCann. Those are great. I got some new ones. Oh, I want new ones. And these are very cool. Uh, Nazanin Rafsanjani from Gimlet, mm-hmm. who's creative director at Gimlet and is now, I believe, in charge of all new programming. Amazing. And I don't know if you've noticed, Gimlet launches like seven new podcasts an hour. They do quite a bit, yeah, huh? It's just but like, they're all so good. How do they do it? Exactly. Well. Well. Hey. Hey. <laughs> let me tell you a place you can find out. <laughs> it's going to be Elevate Creativity on June 14th mm, in New York. Wonderful. Uh, the other uh, great addition that we just locked in is Karina Falusi, who is the uh, creative chief at Mother New York. Mm. Uh, and this is one of the weirdest, coolest agencies uh, going right now. They're yeah. the ones who, uh, they did a call for interns uh, that was like this terrifying, uh, <laughs> like, uh, what do you call it, a fable, or not a fable, uh Nursery, not, not nursery. Bedtime rhyme. story? You know, it's, like, it's like Hansel and Gretel type thing. Oh, and they did, uh, a cautionary tale. Yeah, they, they did one, and it was like Mother Needs a Baby. Yeah. And it was just this creepy, like, ghost mom going around. And so, anyway, Spooky. they're great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, check that out. Um, and uh, we will hope to see all of you at June 14th at Elevate Creativity in New York. You can go to adweek.com slash elevate adweek.com slash elevate I'll see you there right I'll be there also don't forget it is my birthday (laughs) it's like all (laughs) listeners must bring a present (laughs) all right see you there You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creativity editor with Adweek. And with me as she is each week is Sammy Main, our social editor. Sammy. Hello. We're in the same room. Weird. (laughs) 
It's not <laughs> normal force. Yeah, yeah, it's real awkward. Mm-hmm. Just, this eye contact needs to stop. Too conversational. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, also, we've got with us this week Stacy Perman, the features editor here at Adweek. Stacy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure to have you. Uh, you wrote our cover story on Samantha B. Uh, and so really looking forward to talking about her and our list of disruptors uh, that we run each week, which we are each by each year. It only feels like each week that these big, mm. big, big old lists come around. Uh, so looking forward to talking about those. We've also got uh, some heartbreaking. Well, I don't know, not heartbreaking, but we've got some heart touching Mother's Day ads to kick off the Mother's Day ad blitz that we're going to talk about. But first, let's get to the news. All right, uh, hot news in the world of cryptocurrency. Uh, one of the biggest trends of 2018 and probably 2017 and 2016 before that. Uh, but Oscar Mayer has launched a cryptocurrency, a bacon-based cryptocurrency. Sammy, what's it called? It's called Baycoin. It's called I, Baycoin. 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 Yeah. Baycoin, 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 Baycoin. I hate if it. you say it really fast, it sounds like Bitcoin. It's like the old uh, bacon beer can uh, like autoplay thing. Do you remember? No. Oh. What? Uh, it's something about Jamaican accents and it was like a viral thing like many moons ago in like early internet. Anyways, bacon and beer can sound similar in some accents. Oh, all right. Fun internet history for you. <laughs> it's like if you say that someone has a good eye, it sounds like good day. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly like that. All right. Um, so yeah, so Bitcoin is I let's get it out of the way right now for the cryptocurrency purists that are out there. It is not a legit cryptocurrency. It is some might say a giveaway, a kind of lame marketing promotion, uh, but it was created with agency McGarry Bowen, uh, and uh, the. The concept here is that you can sign up. You don't have to buy them. You can okay. sign up for Baycoins. Mm-hmm. And the value of a Baycoin uh, changes based on the amount of social buzz about Baycoin, which oh. is probably the most accurate part of the cryptocurrency. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the, the, the amount of hype that people are generating <laughs> mm-hmm. about the cryptocurrency. So let's, um, I'm going to pull up real quick here. While we record this, at this moment, yeah, what's it in, what's ooh, it up to? It, well, it peaked at twenty four slices. So one Bitcoin okay. was worth twenty four slices at five a.m. Uh, the night before we record this. Interesting. The morning, the morning of. So sell high, sell your Bitcoin at right. four or five a.m. Set your alarm. Mm-hmm. Get up. It's like Who, who's talking about it at that time? Well, you know clearly I mean? overnight. Your cryptocurrency bots have been hard at work right. pimping Bitcoin, mining things. So it was worth, I believe, three Bitcoins. I mean, sorry, a Bitcoin was worth three slices of bacon uh-huh. when it launched. Uh, it is so it's currently at ten. Do I get bacon from this? Yeah, yeah it's, okay. it's like legit slices of bacon. Okay. And then, uh, so what it is, it's like a giveaway where you're signing up to ride this roller coaster of of bacon value, mm-hmm. and then uh, when you sell out, you basically get. Coupons, I suppose, for free Oscar Mayer bacon. Gotcha. So if it's worth 24 slices, what is that? Like two packets of bacon? I don't really... Yeah, I don't eat meat. That sounds right, though. (laughs) Well, you should definitely sign up for a bacon. (laughs) Yeah, it's made for me. (laughs) (laughs) You're just going to have to hold out for like tofu nickels or something. Ew. I mean, all right. I'll give it a try. Uh, Stacey, any thoughts on... I'm just Branded cryptocurrency. I'm just wondering if it peaks before Sunday brunch. Well, when are you, like, it really, are you going to log in, 
Uh, we've got to make this happen. Okay, so this this coming Sunday after you listen to this. Is this embezzling? What is this? No, this is insider, <laughs> insider trading. Insider trading. Great. So we're all going to log in. Everyone listening to this, we're all going to log in at like, I don't know, 6 a.m. on a Sunday. Great. Eastern time. Right. And we just blitz Twitter. With yeah. Bitcoin, hashtag Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And then we all reap the windfall. Yeah, really. And then you sell an hour later. Yeah, so I'm going to sell at 7. I want all of our listeners to sell at 8. Great. Just okay. to see. Yeah. And uh, that'll work out. Mm-hmm. So this, as I mentioned, is not the first branded quasi-cryptocurrency. There was the Whopper coin that uh, Burger King, of course, uh, is always one of the first into the fray on any kind of trendy marketing things. Yeah. Uh, so that you could sell, you know, it was basically worth value of Whoppers. Um, and I'm sure there have been a few others that I'm forgetting at the moment. But this is one, like, it's funny. You can almost set your clock by, like, cryptocurrency purists, blockchain enthusiasts, uh, which are all phrases I never thought I would hear myself <laughs> saying out Gobbledy loud. Um, they get real mad about this stuff. Really? I mean, yeah. Joking about it? Well, because they're like, like, that's not a cryptocurrency. Oh. I mean, there's no blockchain. No. This, this is bacon. It's is not, fake bacon is dollars. It's not encrypted by the blockchain. <laughs> fake bacon dollars for real bacon. Uh, have a little fun folks it was was a a way to get us talking about Oscar Mayer it's very impressive to see Uh, Oscar Mayer I should note is no uh, this is not their first foray into bizarre tech Uh, they have created a bacon scented alarm clock uh, that goes off and (laughs) smells like bacon which I enjoy um, yeah. the concept of I don't own one Um, yeah I wonder if you used it if you'd still like the concept of it yeah I mean it's better than I right now. I wake up to like classic rock, and it's like the same three songs they pretty much only play. Uh, you, you only need to hear "The Boys Are Back in Town" so many right. times at six in the morning. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, the uh, the other thing that they did, they made a uh, dating app called, uh, I believe, uh, Sizzle. Oh, okay. There were missing vowels, as you can imagine. Sure. So it's like S Z Z Z L, right. kind of a thing. But anyway, yeah, good on them. Uh, they did a lot of that earlier work with 360i, the agency. The new, uh, the new um, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, is from McGarry Bowen. Uh, so they're definitely up to some pretty interesting ideas for how to sell bacon. Uh, the other news is slightly more serious, uh, but just to follow up to a previous discussion, uh, we had talked about Tide, uh, the It's Tide ad, uh, won a, uh, the top honors at the DNAD recently, and so we mentioned that, I think, on the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but an interesting follow-up is there is a, a brand metrics firm called YouGov, and they basically, they keep an eye, they survey constantly. They are constantly asking people, what brands have you heard of? What brands have you bought? Mm-hmm. Have you heard anything about this company in the last X many days? Same questions. They're always asking. They've been doing this for years. So they're kind of the gold standard of people's brand awareness. Have you seen any ads for this brand? Any of this? So they looked into Tied among many other brands, mm-hmm. but they found what they call a very rare uh, crossover with Tide, where the people have a low brand perception of Tide because of the Tide Pod Challenge, you know, which was obviously a huge PR nightmare right. for Tide. Not one of their own making. Other no, than they didn't. The do delicious it. design of their pods. Uh, <laughs> they just look like big gushers, and we're all raised on gushers. I don't. I have to admit, I don't look at them and think delicious. No, but I'm not. No one does. Know, not a Gen Z. I don't think they do. I'm out of touch. Yeah, and so it's. Uh, that, you know, we talked about a while back after the Super Bowl, like what a coup it was to have It's a Tide ad come out right as they're dealing with this PR Mm -hmm. nightmare. And, um, you know, so at the time we thought it'd be interesting to see 
does this kind of make people forget about uh, Tide Pod Challenge? The answer, unfortunately, is no. But it does get people buying Tide. Mm. So the rare crossover here that YouGov noticed is that they um, they have lingering problems with brand perception, but their sales are up. Hmm. So people are like, I've heard bad things about Tide because people eat it, but I'm going to go buy some because it'll clean the hell out of your clothes. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Maybe it is like what you were saying because it wasn't their fault that people ate pods. I think the phrasing of the question is something like, have you heard anything positive or negative about mm. this brand? Well, they're going to say, yeah, I heard a negative thing, but right. they're not, it's not to say they've heard anything negative about the product. Right. It's not a bad brand. They just had dumb teens for a while. <laughs> Uh, the number of the percent of people who said that they had purchased Tide in the last 30 days had gone up uh, one percentage point. Which, when you're talking about a product this big, uh, that's that's yeah. that's those are some numbers. Mm-hmm. Are people just putting it higher on the shelf in the laundry room? Well, it's like I, you know, do people use pods that much? I maybe pods. Yeah. they're hot. When I when I don't know if they're hot. When I I now I drop my laundry off because I'm. A New York lady. <laughs> uh, but like in college and, and at home and stuff, because it saves space and you can like buy them mm. more and that way you don't have to measure also maybe. I don't know. It appeals to me. Not because it looks delicious. Um, the you know YouGov described this as a triumph of marketing in our in our story that our colleague uh, Katie Richards wrote about this and you know it's it's a pretty fascinating thing to see the and it really does highlight the power of advertising. There's mm-hmm. there's debate every year about the value of Super Bowl ads and I think we right. may have even talked about on the podcast that one of the most reputable studies academic studies found that the value the biggest value of a Super Bowl ad is that it sets your mind of what kind of product you think of when you think of sports. So like if Mm. you see an ad for Bud Light, the long-term benefit is that when you have a party for a basketball game or for Mm -hmm. a football game or for a sports thing, you're going to think of Bud Light. Interesting. And so that was what this study found is in the short term, it may not boost your sales all that much, but in the Mm -hmm. long term, it associates your product with sports. Tide's in a completely different ball game. Right. Uh And they, uh, you know, so... This is a good example of a Super Bowl ad that was effective. I mean, of course, it was inescapable. They threw a ton of money at that so thing. It good, was though. all over the Super Bowl. Worth it. Um, but, you know, just a, an interesting crossover. of Because, again, this is not a problem of Tide's own creation. Right. Um, and I think they've done a spectacular job of from the PR side of trying to counter something that's just yeah. so dumb mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, but uh, just go show. Advertising can, can help. Uh, So that's the news for this week. Let's talk about the ads worth watching. It is almost Mother's Day. We're in a bit of a like Bermuda Triangle of um, of holidays where I don't even know if normal people care as much as marketers care about stuff. Like there's like Cinco de Mayo uh-huh. and there's uh, Mother's Day and there's um, National Burger Day. Clearly. National uh, Pie Day. Mm. Uh, we had 420. Um, yeah. Graduations uh, coming up. Yeah. There's, Grads and dad season. There's so many like dates that marketers are just like, you can picture their content calendars. They're just like <laughs> full up. They're like, oh, this is my Can't season. Can't wait. <laughs> and so Mother's Day is coming up soon. I will say Mother's Day, I've, every year, I've been for 10 years, I've been writing about and editing about uh, ads about Mother's Day. There have been some mm-hmm. truly spectacular ones. Uh, most famously, I think American Greetings did uh, the World's Toughest Job, which mm. was like a fake job uh, application where you apply, you're, it's unpaid, 
It's 90 hours a week. <laughs> Every Everyone who works with you hates you and <laughs> treats you like garbage. And Anyway, and it turns out, oh, it's applying to be a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, that one was one of the most famous uh, Mother's Day ads. And I think, if anything, kind of set the table for every brand that's in that space to try to, yeah. to do. And there, there have been quite a few. We're going to have a, a roundup on the site. Um, so you can definitely look for that on Adweek. But uh, the one that I thought that came out kind of early, probably because they did such a good job and I think they wanted to cut through the uh, through the clutter a bit, was Teleflora. Uh, this is the flower delivery service that's owned by the Wonderful Company, which also I, th- I believe they make Palm Wonderful and mm-hmm. um, Wonderful Pistachios. It's kind of a weird mix of products, but uh, they have an internal agency called the Wonderful Agency. That's their in-house shop. Uh, They made these. uh, The ads are called Love Makes a Mom, which may not be the most innovative sounding Mother's Day tagline. But the point here is that uh, they are, like many marketers have tried in the past, highlighting the fact that not every mother-child relationship is a traditional uh, mm. mom of kids who may slash may not like treat their moms well uh you know they wanted to highlight the diversity of definitions so that's when they say love makes a mom they're saying that the thing that defines a mom or a, a mother figure in someone's life is the love that between those two uh, which again sounds sentimental but i think they pull it off and so let's listen to uh We'll listen to a, a few of these clips because they're very different. Uh, first, we're, we're going to listen to one about a mom whose uh, daughter was born with Down syndrome. Uh, and, you know, it's a very – this one I think was the most emotionally honest of all of them. She mm-hmm. really opens up more than – you know, most parents of kids who, who have uh, faced, a, you know, a disability or, or an injury, you know, the parents just try to make it sound like everything is great and everything – and she acknowledges, like, it's – you know, it has challenges. It's right. different. And that most importantly that it's changed her as a mother. So let's listen to a little bit of that one. When Mia was born, um, a doctor came in and said, I'm so sorry. I didn't doubt that I would love my baby, but I doubted that I was the right woman for the job. But she is the glue that holds our family together. She is the the light of our lives. Tell them about me, the sassiness. I think motherhood is about embracing who they were created to be. She's all fixed up. I was given this daughter to change my heart and to show me a different kind of perfect. And before we uh, discuss, there, there's also one, uh, there's a, another ad that we won't listen to, but that's really, you know, really great. And I, I think more marketers have done something in this vein where it's a lesbian couple talking about the challenges that they've had, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with social ostracization of, of being a lesbian couple, of raising a daughter. Um, it, it's, a, it's a good ad, but to be honest, like, Quite a few marketers have have gone down that road. That's you know it's a great it's a great thing to cover. But one that they uh, that they did that actually was to me the most compelling was about a thirty year old woman who is raising her sister mm. as the mother figure in her life. Their mother uh, they don't really get into depth about it, but she said that her mother was not around much, and it made for a very inconsistent. Uh, life growing up, which I'm sure a lot of people can uh, identify with, uh, with at least one of their parents uh, having that experience. And man, it's a fascinating story. Let's listen to a little bit. Uh, this is about Denise and Taylor, uh, who are half sisters, uh, with Denise raising uh, her younger teen sister. I'm not easy all the time. I'm really complicated. 
<laughs> but she, she makes me feel really like loved and protected and safe. That's like really a mom. By loving her, it changes her. And by her loving me, it changes me. Who would have known that I'd be raising my sister today? But I truly feel that I have the strength to put it all on my back. People just deserve that kind of love. They just do. I, I really love that one. That one, I have to admit, the first thing I did after watching it, because they don't really get into the story all that much of right. how did she end up. And Teleflora has a landing page for these ads with the full story, full names, full stories of all these folks, mm. uh, which, you know, props to them. That's a lot of work. They could have just been like, here's a nice story. It's tear-jerking. Yeah, let's blah blah blah. Cut it, yeah. send it. <laughs> let's move on to the next John, holiday. Father's Day next. <laughs> uh, but I'm curious, what did you guys think of these spots? I I like. I don't know. I'm a softie, so I, I enjoy the sentiment sentimentality of it. Um, like I've been a maternal mother figure in a lot of my friends' lives. I've had the nickname Mama Sammy like since high school because I'll have Advil, I'll have like Purell, I'll have extra snacks, I'll remind you to bring a sweater on the bus. <laughs> like I've been like a stage manager in their lives forever. Um, so it's kind of nice that like that gets to be recognized on some level, maybe not in like the direct familial way that these ads are, but there's a lot of different kinds of, of caretaking and they don't always get celebrated. Um, a lot of different kinds of mothers that don't get celebrated. So I think it's an, it's an interesting take, even if like you said, it may or may not feel, um, familiar to kind of other, other ways marketers have, have gone about it, but I don't know. I thought they were sweet. Stacey, what did you think? I thought it worked because the through line, even though all the stories were different, was there was a real authenticity, which I mm -hmm. think they reached, which is so difficult because I think we're all so cynical. <laughs> um, and I think the one about the mother, the child with Down syndrome, was great because the, the child had such a great personality. Yeah. I think, the, and you saw that relationship. Yeah. And I have to say, funny enough, a week ago, a friend of mine who's, whose son has Down syndrome, she posted that ad on mm. um, Facebook. So I'd actually seen it. So I think it's getting out there. I, yeah. I, 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 liked, I liked all the ads. I think they did yeah. a nice job. They're unique stories. And they, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to the crew that worked on these. They talk a lot about that, uh, you know, in the in the information that, about the campaign, about how hard it was to uh, leave, you know, that they yeah. got to know these people so well that they, like, wanted to stay a part of their life. And it's kind of mm -hmm. like we, as journalists, have been in that yeah. situation. Like, sometimes when you're so embedded with someone and they're not friends, you're right. not going to, like, send them Christmas cards. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, with social media especially, you can kind of follow those folks and kind of see where they go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I could really see how they would feel so connected. Cause you're right. The daughter in that ad is, man, she is just charming mm -hmm. as all hell. Precious. And you just, it is like, Oh man, she, you just like, and you could tell that her brother is like tired of it. You know? <laughs> he's just like, she's just being super. She's got the charm at 11 and mm -hmm. he's just like, mm, whatever. <laughs> I have to deal with this every day. Well, there, there was that great scene at the kitchen table when she looks at him and she says, tell everyone how I'm sassy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, and I will just say too, that if I can give one prediction slash request for marketers to not do, because I understand, I understand. And I'm not one of these, like, I'm certainly no sort of men's rights guy, but I will say that every single year, I'm just tired of seeing these every single mm -hmm. year of father's day, mm -hmm. there is at least one brand, often more than one 
whose Father's Day ad mm-hmm. is about a mom who has to serve as the father. Interesting. And the first time you saw one, you're like, oh, yeah, that's an interesting angle. And right. then, like, the second, third, fourth, fifth. And right. at some point, guys were like, could we just have some that are like that dads are okay <laughs> on occasion? <laughs> um, and, and so it's one of those where I, I think the concept is, is great. I think right. it's important to point that out. But I've seen the backlash to that. Well, like a, yeah, because that's ramp up a little now. bit more every year. Where yeah, because like, yeah. we're getting farther and farther away from like what those roles are or where they came from. So every year we're like, yeah, okay, that's being a parent, I guess. Cool. Yeah. And like I remember last year, there, there, like the, half the comments when we wrote about one of those was, was you know, someone saying, "If only there were a day that celebrated mothers." <laughs> oh, curses. <laughs> Why? Well, anyway, very good work by Teleflora, uh, by their in-house agency team, and uh, we've seen uh, we've seen quite a few other uh, pieces coming out. But uh, be interesting to see uh, what else. And and take a look mm-hmm. at uh, adweek.com. We will have all sorts of other coverage of only the best. We won't bring you any of the the, the Rest. emotional tripe. So oh. mm-hmm. the, just the good, just the good emotional <laughs> stuff. All right. With that, we're going to it's time to move on to our big discussion of the week. It is our annual disruptors issue in Adweek. Uh, this is where we look at women who are changing the game in whatever their industry is. They are disrupting their industry. They are disrupting the way that people look at what women can accomplish in some industries that are traditionally male or that, uh, yeah, I don't know. Stacy, walk us through first. How did we define disruptors this year? Well, I think disruptors are women who are sort of leading the charge in terms of more inclusiveness, diversity, and um, gender equality. I think what was interesting about the list, I mean, and there was a wealth of names, I mean, which was really, really nice to see, was that these were women who were saying, you know, we've been shut out in various aspects of various industries and fields, and we don't want to be shut out, and we're not waiting, so we're taking the ball and running with it. Yeah, that, that's a, uh, you know, a great way to summarize, because there's 38... 38. 38 names on this list. Uh, so, it, you know, the most famous of which is Samantha B, who is on our cover. She is. And you interviewed for uh, for this cover story. Uh, first, I, I'm curious, you know, I think we all know her from her public persona, but was she, when you talk to her in person, is she a very, is she like a Colbert where they are completely different in real life? No, there was a real aspect to her that was the same. And in fact, I asked her that question, how different is your Samantha B persona from everyday Samantha B? And she says she, she calls herself or the character Samantha B adjacent. I mean, there were obviously, <laughs> um, qualities about her, the way she spoke, the way she responded to things that were very, very familiar, but she wasn't in this like heightened sense of outrage. Now, you, you mentioned the story. I think we start right out with this anecdote that she got her start in advertising? Right. She's originally from Canada, from Toronto, and she said she worked in a advertising agency, and she was very clear about how terrible it was, how terrible she was at the job, <laughs> and um, it, it was best for everybody concerned that she got out. Yeah, she wasn't. She said she wasn't a writer or anything. She like worked No, in, she worked in the print shop. Yeah. Um, but that, that's kind of fascinating. Did she have any insights that she gleaned from advertising? In yes, yes. That she shouldn't be in business and that she learned what you shouldn't do is what you don't know and uh, made the comment about a certain president uh, having a similar oh, um, yeah. insight. Good parallel. <laughs> uh, the What do you think, we have honored her quite a bit. I think she, uh, we, we uh, in our hot list of uh, TV of like the, the best shows on TV, I think we included her as, as best 
we call her late night, you know, she's, mm-hmm. she's different in the sense that she's once a week, kind of like John Oliver. And I'm curious about that format. You talked to her about the benefits of being a once a week show. Cause I know for John Oliver, like it, th- th- man, there's just so much meat to an episode of mm-hmm. last week tonight, you know, and same with Samantha B. She packs in so much insight and she can just drill down on mm-hmm. an issue in a way that the, the every night folks just don't have the luxury of doing. But what, what did she have to say about that format? Well, it was very specific. She wanted that format. She said TBS would be happy to have her do four or five days a week, but that's not what she wanted. And for two reasons, one, she had a very specific idea of the kind of show that she wanted to do. It would be the show that she wanted to watch. But the flip side of that, which I think was very interesting, which she brought up is she's a mother of three children and she wanted to have a life and be present in her children's lives. And so in in order for her to do the show that she wanted in the way she wanted to and be able to be a mother, this is what worked for her. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good to to actually set that. You know, as I'm sure some people would say, as many times as you will put me on TV, I will be on TV. And the next thing you know, you end up being the Rock, and you're just on there every five <laughs> seconds. But he just had a baby; he's making time. But he's got a somewhere yeah. baby mama, probably doing the heavy lift. Yeah, I'm sure he just does the Instagram topless photo holding his baby, <laughs> and then he's like, "Okay, I got seven more movies and uh, Apple ads to film this afternoon." Uh, Why do we hate the Rock on this episode? He's a nice man. <laughs> Don't disparage The Rock. I'd like to clarify that I do not hate The Rock. I don't want him to show up someday. I heard you were talking shit. Right. <laughs> Maybe one person you don't want to upset. Um, Your next Father's Day ad spotlight will be Rock. <laughs> So let's talk about a few of the other names that were on here. Uh, I worked on uh, one of the blurbs, uh, which was about Colleen DeCourcy and Susan Hoffman, who are the co-creative uh, chiefs for Wyden and Kennedy, which was our global agency of the year. Uh, Colleen is definitely, Colleen DeCourcy is definitely one of the best known names in advertising. She's one of those people, it almost doesn't matter what her title is. She's just Colleen DeCourcy. Mm. Uh, about a year ago, Susan Hoffman, who was, I think she was literally the eighth employee at Wyden and Kennedy. Wow. I mean, this is like a sprawling global agency and she was number eight. Um, And so they're very different. Like, uh, you know, Colleen has this very digital background and innovative, uh, you know, not say Wyden was innovative as all hell from Mm. from day one. Um, But, you know, they're very different. And And so talking to them about the same topics, but getting their perspective separately uh, was pretty fascinating where, you know, we talked about this idea of, of what does disruption mean to you? What needs to change? What is this time of times up? They're both very uh, active in leading the times up advertising movement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what does this moment mean for advertising? And for Colleen, it's about changing the, I think this may be a bit more literal the way we think of it. She's like, I don't want to look at a hundred people in a creative department and see five women, Mm -hmm. you know? So for her, it's a very literal, this is a time to change that. Uh, And for Susan, it's about, you know, all the rules are changing. You know, she talked about let's, let's tear down the entire way we tell stories, the way advertising is made. Let's rip it all down and start over. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that attitude is what's made Susan Hoffman one of the best kind of creative leaders, traditional, uh, you know, not traditional as a, in a bad way. It's like in this industry, traditional can mean a few different things. But I, what I mean is like, she is a, a really solid creative director that was able to come in and, and create, uh, you know, to lead 
some of their best work in mm-hmm. past few years, like Dada Ding that they did from uh, their deli office, which to me is one of the best ads ever made. Uh, and it's about you know empowering women in India, which is a you know a very different challenge than empowering women in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm curious, uh, what are some of the other names that, uh, Sammy, did any, any names jump out at you? Yeah, I, I like that we featured um, the Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb and Libby Leist from the Today Show. And kind of, um, I feel like there was maybe three months or so where most women were just sobbing every day <laughs> quietly to themselves during kind of the Weinstein era and kind of the aftermath of every other... Uh, I always think of Lisa Tazi from BuzzFeed News, who I think started really the idea of the Hunger Games cannon. Every time <laughs> another man goes down, we fire the cannon again. His face of, appears over New York City. <laughs> we cheer, and then we're like, but gross, like all at the same time. Um, I think of her every time someone does that joke. I, I'm going to give Lisa the credit for that one. Uh, anyways, the, this, this group of women, I feel like they had a real rough go of it and kind of having to stand there on live television in front of millions of people who are tuning in about this sort of thing. And they handled it with such grace and kind of a diplomacy that they didn't have to have. And I don't know, I think I I appreciate that we kind of included them on this list because that's a different kind of disruption like we were talking about and kind of um, supporting each other and standing in it is is uh, important to clock, I think. Stacey, what are some other names that you really appreciated seeing on this list? Well, I appreciate them all. It's almost like asking <laughs> to yeah, these are your baby child. Yeah. But I, I'll, I'll mention a couple that sort of are um, examples of certain ideas. Um, I think Rachel Morrison and Dee Reese. When, uh, Rachel Morrison was a cinematographer mm-hmm. on Black Panther and Mudbound, and Dee Reese was the director of Mudbound, and they were both nominated for Oscars for that film this year. And they, um, I think they exemplify this idea of leading by example. So Dee Reese has always tried to work on films that were populated by women and people of color in, in her crews, both on and behind the camera. And in in doing so, and she hired Rachel Morrison, and she got the, she was the first cinematographer, female cinematographer, nominated for an Oscar. And, and they were saying, you know, look, people didn't even know that a woman had never been nominated in that category. Mm-hmm. And Dee Reese was saying, you know, when I'm able to do this, I'm able to debunk that, you know, sort of entrenched idea when people say, well, there aren't enough women of talent or people of color. And and she broke she can break through all that by saying, well, look what I've done. So I think those two sort of stand out for me for that. Um, and then, you know, uh, uh, Katrina Lake, the CEO of Stitch Fix, um, she was very interesting. Um, she was the only woman CEO founder of a company last year that did a tech IPO. Um, and she said some interesting things like, um, I don't like being considered a female CEO. I just want to be called a CEO. And a lot of these themes are, you know, sort of run throughout some of these um, women in our disruptors mm-hmm. list. Yeah, we've had a lot of interesting conversations, especially in the last year, but it goes back a few years now is, you know, advertising and marketing and tech certainly had so few female CEOs, like top level, and they faced this sort of conundrum when they talked to us as reporters about, on the one hand, they're all obviously passionate about supporting women in leadership, but on the other, they don't want to be seen as a woman in leadership. They want to be seen as a leader, and yeah. they, they don't want to talk about being a woman. They want to talk about their work. Mm-hmm. And you know, I certainly tremendously respect that, but at the same time, you have to find this balance of like – uh, you know, to go back to Colleen DeCourcy, you know, a phrase she uses all the time is, we can't climb the ladder and then pull it up behind us. Sure. 
And so this gets into Sheryl Sandberg wrote about this all the way back in Lean mm-hmm. In of, of saying, you know, you can't get into a top level position and then say, I made it. If I can do it, anybody can do it. I don't mm-hmm. need to help anybody. Right. Um, and not to say that any, anybody, you know, thinks that way, but it is one of those where it puts people in a really tough position of, uh, you know, do you, you know, yeah, do you talk about yourself? Do you embrace it? Or do you kind of, and I think a lot of people very naturally uh, try to find a halfway point where it's like, mm-hmm. it's not their identity, but it's something they're proud of. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like, uh, I forget how recent it was, but like the discussion to make uh, like the difference between actor and actress in award shows, like shouldn't we maybe all be judged the same since we're all doing the same hard work folks it's like that idea of like i'd love to be like just a comedian and not a female comedian because like who why what's the distinction for so i think it's interesting though because it's also it's still something that you've had to overcome like a huge part of who you are is something to overcome on a daily basis for a lot of these women on the list and people in in daily life. So it is kind of a weird balance of like, no, that's me, but also I wish I didn't have to be identified as that in order to be the story or to be impressive. Yeah, if you're a police officer, you don't want to be like uh, a female police officer. You know what I mean? You want to talk about being... I'm a police officer. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it shouldn't it, matter. It's something you really see at events, right? So mm-hmm. you can tell a well-programmed event that actually has diversity and gender representation in mind when they don't just include minorities and women in panels about minorities and women. Yep. And that's one. And that's where, to me, we can talk about this broad, you know, the big picture kind of debate about uh you know, how much do I want to focus on being a, a if I'm a female CEO, how mm-hmm. much of it? But, but really when it comes down to it, it's like, if you're running an event, like just ask them there to come talk about what they're experts in. Exactly. <laughs> like that's well, a simple yeah, rule. Cause that's the, the, you know, that's who ends up doing all of the emotional labor education for like thousands of people on Twitter every day is like, I would love to not talk about this, but you won't ask other people. It's kind of like, yeah, exactly. Including, People who are experts because they are experts and not because of what else they identify as would be the dream, really. Well, we have another big list coming in uh, fast. We uh, Creative 100 is our, our big annual list of, of creative uh, professionals. And it's uh, we were talking today, Stacy and I were talking about the fact that the list is so much more diverse this year. Not even so much. We've always put effort into making sure that it's a diverse list. Mm-hmm. But this was the first year where I can say that the nominations, the people recommending other people, companies that we would go to and say, who do you think would be the best fit? Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times we only know their output, right? We don't know the specific people behind the work. We have to sometimes rely on uh, you know agencies or brands to tell us, like, who's running your Twitter feed? Like, mm-hmm. who's doing this? This is the first year where I really felt like those nominations were diverse instead of mm-hmm. us having to do all the legwork and i think it's because over the last year or two you've really seen that these conversations have elevated people of talent into the public eye and they're just they're getting the attention they're getting the opportunities mm-hmm. uh so that's again it's easy for like i'm i'm very self-aware of the fact i'm a white male saying like all the problems are being solved <laughs> Done congratulations so. mm-hmm. everybody but well, no I, it's little times like that where you notice that right. some progress is being made mm-hmm. uh, it does feel a little bit like it does feel a little bit like a tipping point or we we're, we're reaching a critical mass yeah N- not every answer has been um put out there but um i, I feel there's a, a greater awareness on so many levels right mm-hmm. now it's it's like i always think about 
um, the the levels of if you have like well, let's just be straight here like a racist grandparent right yeah so the 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 couldn't path, picture it the path you're from Florida right? yeah. um, the path for watching them slowly like become a little more aware over yeah. over the years is first they have to just learn that it's not okay to say that thing mm-hmm. and so you've been watching like kind of old white men <laughs> learn over the last few years yeah. like that it's not okay, not okay to say to it. oppress people interesting yeah, we've seen this in some of lawsuits about mm-hmm. top level CEOs and the things they tried to get away with saying anti-semitic yeah. sexist homophobic mm-hmm. Uh, rape jokes, all that stuff. Just someone's finally kind of told You're them. You're not you know, allowed. Hey, turns out, no, don't <laughs> say those things. Yeah. And then the next phase is the more important phase where they actually get it mm-hmm. and they get woke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's like as much as we joke about the word woke, I, I do think that there is like an eye opening. Yeah, moment. where they actually either. Uh, hey, uh, maybe just because they realize that it is in their own financial interest. Yep. Sure. <laughs> and whatever it takes. Or reputation. Right? Like, Fine. I don't expect all these people to, to you know, go home and, and to think the most pure thoughts about, mm-hmm. you know, diversity and gender representation. Uh, but I, I think they slowly become aware that this is where the world is now. Yeah, right. Society. And, yeah, and, and it's just no longer, A, first, I don't have the luxury of saying these things. And then second... Hey, maybe there's actually something to this, mm-hmm. um, and so there there ends my my weird, uncomfortable, racist grandparent metaphor. I but, got it. I yeah. followed. Um, well, thank you so much, Stacy, for coming in to talk to us. Definitely, everyone, check out uh, our cover story on Samantha B and uh, the the disruptors list of all 38 names. Uh, it's a wonderful list. Congratulations. Thank you. And Sammy, thank you as always for joining us. Thank you. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Anya Fernando and edited by Lane McGivney. Thank you, Anya. Thank you, Lane. Uh, if you have not already, please uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Griner with Adweek. We will be back next week.